Well, I think uh, after after we had made uh, two of the musicals, we both uh, directed Beauty and the Beast and The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, we thought it might be uh, time to try something a little different. I every artist wants to learn a little bit and grow a little bit with each, with each picture. And... Uh, we sort of used Disneyland as a as a model when we pitched the story to uh, to to the executives. We said, uh, you know, we we've made a couple of movies that take place in Fantasyland. You know, right at the end of Main Street, right through the castle. Now we'd like to turn left and make a movie that takes place in Adventureland. And they responded really well to that. We we could see their eyes kind of widen and they nodded nodded and said, well, that sounds great. You know, then it was up to us to to create a story. Welcome back to another episode of Not a Bomb Podcast. Uh, I don't know if you're tired of our voices at this point. I feel like we've been recording all week behind the scenes. We have Brad. Hello again, Troy. We live in a post Laquisha world now. Yeah, we do. That thing's out in the wild. It's it crazy. Is. I. So if you're listening to this, you can go back and listen to Breaking Brad episode three, where we did Laquisha. And I am still baffled by the journey that we went on in that 90 minute episode. Did not expect, uh, I, I really, and I, I, I've said this multiple times. I thought we'd watch that film because of how terrible I heard it was. We would watch you like cry on zoom, record it and make fun of you and make fun of the film. I, I just did not expect us to talk about things we talked about. I'll be honest with you. I, I yeah. Yep. Still baffled. I don't get but it. Tonight, yeah. But tonight, tonight, Troy, what are we doing tonight? Uh, we are doing a listener request. So we moved some stuff around because when somebody wrote about this film, we're like, oh, yeah. I, in my head, I'm like, I don't, I don't think that bombed. And then we did a little research and we did. But uh, Brad, this is technically your pick. Oh, it is. Yeah. So we switched something just because of scheduling. We've been recording all week just because stuff's, you know, uh, schedules, right? Life. But we we don't want to miss a week of releasing an episode, so we've been doing some back to back stuff. But um, this one, and I can't remember who wrote in to to ask about it. But man, as soon as I saw the title, I'm like, yeah, I would love to talk about that film. So, Brad, what are we talking about tonight? Yeah, it's Atlantis: The Lost Empire from 2001 from the megacorp that is Walt Disney. Yes, uh, it, we'll we'll get into Disney around this time period. But I, I have a question for you. So. You, uh, you familiar with this, the YouTube thing? Uh, yes, I've heard of they it. They do the video. Okay. So there's a lot of vloggers, a lot of people, and they, they talk about Disney and Disney comes under fire quite a bit, um, for its storytelling to be quite honest. So it, it makes the news quite often, especially with some of the recent news behind the scenes about people getting fired for Marvel but Disney, man, D Disney just has a weird history to me. I don't know what you think about it, but I was really curious before we start talking about Atlantis. I just, I just had a general question. What do you think about the quality of Disney content right now? And, and maybe specifically their animated films, 
uh, maybe some of their TV shows. I I know we both have Disney Plus. I don't know how much you watch Disney Plus. I watch quite a bit because I have two smaller children. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you go to go anywhere and you'll see two sides of the story when it comes to Disney because they've firmly planted themselves into some social messaging. And that usually comes up the topic with them. But some people will say, hey, that that messaging is getting in the way of good storytelling. Other people are like, yeah, but, you know, they've always done that. And at the end of the day, it's it's not really harming it. You're you're when you when you highlight that aspect of it, you're missing out on the total story of it. But, you know, what's what's your take on Disney in terms of its content right now? (sighs) It's a lot from Disney right now. I I was thinking about what made the Phantom Menace so special. And it was the 15-year wait between Return of the Jedi and the Phantom Menace releasing. Mm-hmm. And that scarcity really made things feel special. And now that we're getting so much stuff, it doesn't feel special anymore. Um, when a Marvel movie came out, it still had that air of being special. Um, we didn't get one. It felt like every quarter. Um, and we definitely didn't get TV shows that you had to watch as well. It just feels like it's a lot of work to keep up with stuff. Like I thought, uh, Andor was, um, one of the best star Wars pieces of entertainment I've seen in a long time. But it came after so much other stuff. And I'm watching Mando right now, and it just feels like it's not really going anywhere. And they can take their time and they can do all this stuff to kind of justify like spreading it out over eight weeks or 10 weeks. And it just, it's starting to really feel tedious to me. And the specialness of everything is starting to wear off. Now, there are some animated films I, I do like from them. Um, like my kids really like Onward. So I've seen Onward a lot. We watched that Strange World and it's really not good. Um, turning I, Red. Last year seemed like a rough year for Disney. Yeah. Yeah. Um, turning Red we liked. Um, you know, I have a I have a daughter who is three. And so I'm starting to think about when she gets older, you've gone through it all, you know, Mm -hmm. you have to go through those growing pains with them. But yeah, I, I find it difficult knowing what I know about Disney and how now they feel like they're starting to cut corners. Like you watch Ant-Man and the CGI and you read all these stories, how they basically get these studios to bid everything down. So they get it on the cheap. Right. And they still rush them to get things done. And you're like, you're Disney. Like, you have the money. You could pay people, but you choose not to, which as a shareholder, I feel very, like, good. Hey, reduce those expenses and your revenue still goes up. Like, that's the thing. You look at Disney's revenue, it it beat, last quarter it beat um, its expectations. But it's like, you can spend money, spend money, pay people. Yeah, shouldn't, um, there shouldn't be a quality issue with Disney. Ever. No, it should It should not be. It yeah. should not be, wow, this feels cheap. But I guess where I stand the most is I'm just tired 
it's not the political stuff. Like I don't care. Uh, we watched this movie from 2001. Guess what? There's a big political message in this film. Um, go back to when there, there's always been stuff with messages in it. Um, that doesn't bother me. Um, but I'm just tired of their output. Cause I, I don't think it has that. It, when Disney used to release of it, it felt like it was special. Um, and now that they own everything, it just feels so vanilla and just, I, I, I don't know. Like I am one of the biggest star Wars fans and I am starting to feel a little burned out and it's like, they're crushing my little star Wars Jedi inside <laughs> of me and I don't like it. Yeah. That I makes uh, sense. No, it does. I, I think the Disney content, the, the best way I can describe it is everything feels like a template. Everything feels like a checklist and I, I, I don't, I don't think Disney has ever had a film where they weren't trying to put some kind of positive message or spin in something, especially when you look at the animated features and, and you're right, this one, it's there. I don't think it's over, but it's there. But the, the thing I liked about Disney films is, and, and maybe it could be the frequency even when you look at animated films like The Lion King uh, or The Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast, I mean, there was a time period when these things were coming out within a few years of each other. But if there was a template, it didn't feel like it was there. But even the new Indiana Jones film, which I am an unabashed, I mean, that, that's one of my favorite franchises of all time. And and I would even go to the mat and defend the the... <laughs> The fourth one, yeah, to to an extent. But when I see the trailer and when I read about the new one coming out, it's like, oh, this this again feels like it's going through this checklist and it almost feels like it's going to be very The Force Awakens. Uh, and, you know, Mando is a great example where the the first season and the second season are so good, but this third season, I, I feel like it's falling into that checklist and I'm not as impressed with the visuals. There, there are some choices that are being made that are, is taking away from the concentration of the central character, mm-hmm. which is which is really starting to ag- agitate me. Um, and and I'm all for world building, etc. But world building at the cost of your story, to me, is like uh, one of the worst things you can do because then it feels like you're selling the franchise, you're selling the toys and everything else. And I know. Yep. Lucas was always Sorry. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, but like the book of Boba Fett felt so like a wet fart that just came and went. And that should yes. have been, it should have been a pinnacle moment of our lives. I think so. I think Boba Fett back should have been huge. Yeah. And it wasn't. No, it, it, it was a huge misstep, but no, I just, I, I can't, um, the now Disney still puts movies out on the animated features that I like. I mean, soul i absolutely fell in love with and canto's fantastic Mm -hmm. but it really is to that point now you got to get through four or maybe five movies that are just like eh, whatever to to find the one that feels like it still captures that disney magic and um it's it's just it's hard to it's hard to like their stuff right now is is how i feel uh did you like uh the ray and the last dragon I skipped it. Totally skipped oh. it. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I bought it because I got it on the cheap on 4k, but 
it again, it's one of those where I, I saw the trailer, I looked at it. Uh, I, I, there's nothing about it that just really grabbed me and said, Oh, I, I really want to go to that story and look at it because it very much looks like so much of the other Disney content that was out there. Soul at least had the jazz angle to me that got me interested in that one. Mm -hmm. And Canto, I heard the music before the film and I really liked the music. So I'm like, Oh, I want to go check this out. But there, there's always a hook with some of these films that get me interested in it, be it the look of it, the design, maybe some of the voice acting, the story. And uh, it's it's few and far between with some of the Disney content right now. And they pretty much own my childhood. And I'm, I'm really getting more and more disappointed with what they're doing with it. I, I, can't, I can't say any of these latest Marvel films post-Infinity War um, have, I mean, they go on a range of terrible, in my opinion, to just, okay. You mean in game, right? In or end game. Yeah. After end game, all of the Marvel films go from terrible to just, okay. And the TV shows go from terrible to mediocre. Uh, yeah, I, I, it seems like they had a very solid plan to get to end game. And then after that, they had no idea what to do. Well, I think they had solid, they had really solid talent in front of mm -hmm. the camera behind the, behind the camera. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's there right now. Yeah. And, and like they get these directors and you wonder like how, what the director is even doing. Right. Cause they're prevising like all the fight scenes, all the set pieces. So at, at what point in time do you even need a director? Is it, and the director's not making any decision. No, they're, di will... they're directing traffic. Maybe, yes, they, I exactly. mean, Doctor Strange had a little bit of Sam Raimi visual flair, but not much, man. Yeah, very little. Super um, watered down. You know, and you, you sit through like internals and you're like, what, what are what are we doing? And I was like an apologist up until very recently. And look, Guardians 3 will come out and I will see it day one. Um, but if that disappoints and doesn't really feel like it's unique or doesn't feel like guardians and it feels more like that, like you're talking about the template stuff, it's going to be hard to get me back. And I think a lot of people are starting to get on that train. Ant-Man in, in the, in the latest Ant-Man isn't going to pass $500 million. And it's, it's not a good move. I mean, it's an okay film. It's just not great for what it should be. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely doesn't have the fun of the first two, I think, but what's really disappointing. I mean, these Marvel films at, at one point I needed to see them on opening night. I, I didn't see Wakanda forever until 4k. We saw Ant-Man like a, it, it wasn't on opening day. I don't even know if it was opening weekend, but I'm to the point now where like, I'll get to it, but I'm not in a rush to get to it. Uh, in these TV shows, I'll, I'll watch a couple episodes and then I'll, I'll check out like it, it just doesn't interest me. Yeah. I've, I've, I've kind of put the shows on like a, Hey, when I don't have a whole lot of like, exactly hard work to do, like I'll throw it on in the background and that's kind it's background noise. It's noise. To me. Yeah. Just noise. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, when you said we were going to push this one up based on listener feedback, 2001's Atlantis, the lost empire, full disclosure, uh, my, my family will ask, Oh, what, what are you doing this week? I'm like, Oh, we're going to do Atlantis. And, uh, they had the same reaction like that. That didn't bomb. I'm like, no, I, I think it did. But as soon as everybody knew I was going to watch this, it just became a, we have to watch that with you. 
and uh, my entire family. It was it was hard to watch the film because specifically Tabitha is sitting right next to me quoting the whole movie. <laughs> but that that's how much this film. Uh, and again, my kids. I mean, they're they're late teenage stage. One's in college. One's you know a junior in high school. So when this film came out, it was closer to what your kids age um, when they experienced this. So everybody has a fond memory of it, but I'm really curious on your take of this. If it, you know, what is it, what does it look like 20 plus years later? <laughs> um, but before we share our thoughts on the film and talk about the release of it, let's go back in and, and talk about the financials because it was a shocker to me that this thing kind of bombed. Yeah. Yeah. So released, I'm going to use the, the wide release date. That's June 15, 2001. With a reported budget of upwards of $120 million. So keep in mind if you have a 120 production buzz budget, you multiply that times two, we get to 240 all in. Usually Disney movies I've read are about two and a half times. Yeah, they they have um, a bit more of a spend when it comes to the So to we're the marketing. gonna say all in, we're gonna call this three hundred million dollars. So just keep in the three hundred million dollars in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um so opening weekend, it makes $20.3 million um, on its way to $84 million domestically and $102 million internationally. So it makes a total of $186 million. So you can see we're about $114 million shy of our 300 break-even number. Yeah. That's a hundred million dollars just gone. And remember, I believe is it Treasure Island the next year after this? No, um, we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, I I well, we can talk about it now. So the film, I believe, where it sits in terms of like the Disney Animation Studio in terms of things being released. Oh yeah, so it goes it goes Atlantis Lost Empire and then Lilo and Stitch the next June and then that November of 02 is Treasure Planet and then Big Bear Brother Bear and then Home on the Range. So there's two out of those three lost them 100 million dollars. Now Lilo and Stitch was a huge hit. Yes. Yeah, um, it's 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 kind of crazy how <laughs> Tarzan's 99. So just think about this in relation to what Disney was putting out theatrically. Tarzan's 99. Toy Story 2 is a Pixar film through Disney, right? Mm-hmm. So it's 1999 as well. Then you get into 2000, you get Fantasia 2000, uh, the Tigger movie, Dinosaur, and the Emperor's New Groove. So I think dinosaur was kind of a disappointment and, but I do believe, Oh no, dinosaur made $350 million. Yeah. It, it did. Um, okay. Cause he, this is the time period where the computer animation stuff, it's nice and glossy. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're we're still in the, Oh wow. Stage the Owen Wilson stage, I guess we'll call oh, it. Wow. Oh wow. Um, then you get into 2001 and you get Atlantis, the Lost Empire, but you also get Pixar's Monsters Inc. Oh, which was, and, and so I guess like that's also the thing with Disney. When they miss, they miss, but when they hit, they make 
hundreds of millions of dollars. So it helps absorb some of these, but even Disney at this point in time is kind of tightening the belts a little bit. Cause you know, a hundred, a hundred million dollars is not nothing. No, but you, you can definitely start to see the shift into, okay, we, we are getting to the computer generated Pixar is just becoming more and more of a mm-hmm. big powerhouse. So the ones that you listed after this are, you know, taking place in 2002 with Lilo and Stitch, uh, Treasure Planet, um, and then you you start getting uh, Finding Nemo in 2003, Brother Ouch. Bear in 2003. I mean, P- Pixar is really coming on the scene, and really that hand drawn animation stuff is losing steam at this point. You get a couple hits, but not to the extent of what Pixar is putting out there. So if you're running Disney. Of course, you're going to be like, hey, let, let's start diverting this movie or money over to Pixar. Yeah. And and even if you look at Disney's releases at that point, you start to see more stuff going into um, either Pixar, Disney Toon Studios, um, or, you know, TV animated stuff. So it, that hand-drawn animation is just, it's slowly on its way out at this point. Yeah. But you also have to remember, they still had a huge direct-to-video market as well. Absolutely. Lots so a lot of, of sequels. Of those, yeah. A lot of sequels were going direct-to-video and doing a ton of money for them and they would cost almost nothing to make. Um, and the quality was terrible. It was terrible, but you know, you would buy your kid a, you know, Aladdin two yeah. and they would watch it a hundred times. Um, so yeah. So Atlantis comes out. It is um, when it's opening weekend, it, it's number two behind Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. Um, and then we have Shrek swordfish, Pearl Harbor, Evolution, the animal, Moulin Rouge, what's the worst that could happen, and The Mummy Returns. So, again, this is a summer, uh, well, I mean, yeah, summer film. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. so a lot of competition. I mean, think Shrek, and I believe, I guess they also said Laura Croft had a big, like, kind of, the audience shifted more towards Laura Croft and Shrek than to this Um I, I believe that if if you're if you're if you're talking about two camps, right? So the animated camp is going to Shrek, mm-hmm. and the boys or the teenagers who are into adventure films are going to Laura Croft. Yep, yep. They lost. Um, they lost their probably. What, what would you call it? Their core audience. Yeah, the core audience is going other places. Yeah. Because um, uh, again, we I don't know when we were talking about Disney before in previous episodes, but they are chasing chasing that male audience forever yeah and they just turn um, around and decide to buy it right yeah then they just bought it they bought marvel <laughs> they bought star wars and you know yeah uh atlantis the lost empire critically sits at a 49 percent um on rotten tomatoes that's with 144 <sighs> again that surprises release. me man that that really surprises me well and then get this with over 250,000 reviews, the audience sits at a 54%. So Again, audience and critics are right me. in line. Jiminy's cr- right I don't get it. Line. I don't get it. Who is not right in line with those people is our favorite Christian website, movieguide.org. Uh-oh. They have some problems with this film, Troy. Um, as we all know, Movie Guide reviews films not for their quality but for their content and they use a plus four to minus four scale troy where do you believe oh my gosh i love this so they where do you believe uh atlantis sits on their scale uh i with this one i don't know it's not as easy to pin down as as some of the last ones we've done 
I'm going to, I'm going to take a conservative approach here and say negative two. Ooh, it's only a negative one. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. But so they call it Atlantis, the lost empire, quote unquote, clash of the worldviews. Of course. I kind of. Yes. That's the worldviews. Okay. Eccentric, uh, purposely vague, pagan worldview, which combines occult elements regarding the myth of Atlantis, including some of the occult trance messages from so-called sleeping prophet. I don't know what what any of this means. I know. With moral religious elements, including hero appears to pray before taking a leap of faith. One man says, Lord, give me strength. When another character does a, (laughs) this is the stuff I have to read. When another character does a silly behavior. Oh yeah. There's a lot of silly behavior. Okay. And ethical values are emphasized such as keeping one's word, mm-hmm. right and wrong action, yep. teamwork, compassion, the importance of one's family and cultural legacy, and comments against human greed. No foul language, but one fool on screen in translation of Atlantean language, one G's, and one man says, Lord, give me strength. We've already said that. When another character does a silly behavior, they're reusing stuff. Solid cartoon action violence. Solid. So, okay. Solid. Hey, thumbs up. <laughs> Such Got as it. huge mechanical sea monster attacks submarines and escape pods, which fire back with explosive torpedoes. Fireflies burn property. Threats with guns. Lava threatens people. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't like verbally threaten them, but okay. Uh, Climactic chase scene with gunfire with the villain and energy weapons with small flying vehicles. No sexual content, but implied romance between uh, between hero and heroine. Brief naturalistic nudity when man swims. Some scant clothing on heroine when she swims. Oh, okay. And women wears low-cut seductive dress and attempted theft, greed, and betrayal rebuked. Oh boy. Okay, films you could have seen June of 2001. Shrek comes out in May and I just want to mention that because it makes almost 500 million dollars. So that plays a big part in this. The animal and what's the worst that could happen? Then we have evolution, swordfish, sexy beast. Oh, okay. Sexy Beast is awesome. Yes. Uh, we've already mentioned uh, Tomb Raider, Laura, or Laura Croft Tomb Raider, Dr. Doolittle 2, Fast and Furious. Okay. Oh that started in 2001. Jeez. Wow. Uh, Baby Boy, uh, Artificial Intelligence, and that's about it. That's a so, pretty eclectic list. I mean, yeah. no matter what you're interested in, there's a movie for you. There's something much. for you. Yeah. So, man, The Fast and the Furious started June of 2001. That's crazy. Here we are. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's talk about the people behind the camera first. Not a huge list to go through. I'm, I'm actually saving some of the stuff for the production and development, but we'll start with the directors. There's two directors, Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise. Now, together... They've worked on a few films for Disney specifically, Beauty and the Beast in 1991, The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1996, 
And then two big hits, two, two big, big hits. hits. For him. Yes. And then Atlantis, the lost empire in 2001, since then it's been a lot of TV and shorts for both of them. So the screenplay, this is where it gets interesting. So tab Murphy has the screenplay and story by credit, but it doesn't stop there. You've got a story by credit for Kirk wise, same for Gary Truesdale you have a story by Joss Whedon, Buffy the Vampire Slayer himself. A story by Bryce Zabel. Story by Jackie Zabel. Additional screenplay material by David Reynolds. And I, I love this. You'll see this on IMDb. Uncredited credit to Plato for the Atlanta story, right? Now you're like, okay. Let's, Do you get residuals? I guess. <laughs> his family his family does. Great, his ancestors. Uh, that, that's a lot of people participating in the story, but the person who again gets the screenplay credit is super interesting. Tab Murphy. Here's just a little bit of a selection of stuff that he's worked on through his career. And he's still working today. He did a film last year called, uh, or wrote a screenplay last year, Kangaroo Valley. Uh, 1987, he did my best friend is a vampire. 1988 gorillas in the mist, the Sigourney Weaver film. Yeah. 1995, Last of the Dogmen, the Tom Berenger drama, uh, did the screenplay for Hunchback of Notre Dame, Tarzan in 99, Atlantis, of course, uh, Brother Bear in 2003. That's a kind of a special film for us because that was Angel's first movie in the theater. Ooh. Uh, and, and it gets even crazier. He did the screenplay for Dark Country in 2009, the Thomas Jane. Thomas sort of, Jane. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Thriller. Uh, and, and he has a lot of credits to working for Warner Brothers on the DC animated films. So I think the first one he did for them was Superman, Batman, Apocalypse back in 2010. So just, just a weird filmography kind of all over the place, but it does make sense for this sort of a pulp adventure story for Atlantis. And um, I think he probably had mo more influence than a lot of these other story by credits, right? Yeah, especially if you have a story credit on Hunchback and Tarzan, pretty big films for Disney. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about some of the animators and and the music when we talk about the production uh, and and those stories. Sorry, I just want to shift real quick to the voice cast. Super super interesting uh, voice cast selection here. We're gonna start with Michael J. Fox as Milo. So just a refresher for anybody who's lived under a rock, doesn't know who Michael J. Fox is. He's had a couple of big TV shows, Family Ties, that ran from 82 to 89, and then Spin City from 96 to 2002, which is pretty popular. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, he's Marty McFly from the Back to the Future films, which uh, first came out in 1985. And around this time period for Atlantis, in terms of the movies that he was doing, he did Stuart Little in 99, Atlantis, The Lost Empire in 2001, and then Stuart Little 2 in 2002. What's your general take on Michael J. Fox? I mean, is he an actor that as soon as you see his name, you get excited or? Uh, I mean, the the Back to the Future trilogy was something that next to Star Wars, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones in the 80s was like one of the most important things to me. So Michael J. Fox will always play a huge part in, in my youth and i remember the opening scene to back to the future when he's playing the guitar in front of the big amp like that is just it's 
stuck in my head. Um, you know, I think Frighteners is really good, but you know, I was never really into Spin City much. Um, you know, Doc Hollywood is okay. It was on HBO all the time, and yes. I would always sit through it. Um, but of course, I, I, you know, Marty is is one of the most important characters of cinema history to me. So he always sort of gets that um, pass for me. Um, you know, sad that he suffers from Parkinson's and doesn't get to do as much. Cause I think you look at him and you think, man, this guy could have had like a really late bloom career, something or other, but unfortunately he's not able to do that. But you know, it wasn't like he was a nobody. Uh, but yeah, I, I, the Marty McFly character is on the Mount Rushmore for me. Oh, I agree. I I've always, I've always enjoyed his films. I mean, the stuff he was doing in the eighties, the the comedies, the romantic comedies, Secret of Mike's Success, stuff like that. They're they're fun. They're they're a bit throwaway, but I still enjoy them. Mm-hmm. The the Michael J. Fox I always gravitate to uh outside of you know Back to the Future has always been this film that he did with James Woods called The Hard Way, which I like a lot. It's it's sort of a buddy cop film where he plays this movie star who's doing research for an action film. And so they team him up with, you know, real life cop James Woods to go after um, a serial killer. And uh, it's fun. I mean, it's he's he's dialed up to an 11. I think he's really funny in it, but it's it's got a lot of good action sequences in it, too. Yeah. A a film that I know your daughter loves uh, Mars Attacks. He's also in that. Which Mars Attacks secretly has like the greatest cast of all time. Like if you watch Mars Attacks, like everyone is in that movie. Love that film. Love it. My wife absolutely hates it. The rest of the family votes her off the island every time. Yeah, she can't stand it. I had no idea. Yeah, it's one, she doesn't have many flaws, but there's a few. Mars Attacks is one of them. Nang, nang. Okay, here's another name that just, I, I guess it makes sense in context of what he was doing with Disney, but I'm always, I always forget he's in this. Uh, it's Jim Varney as Cookie. So I, I totally forget all the time he's Slinky Dog in the Toy Story series. So he did that mm-hmm. in 95. He does this in 2001. But if, if, we're, if we're going through his filmography and we're, we're saying, okay, pick a Jim Varney film that you like, I, I got to go with Ernest Goes to Jail 1990. For whatever reason, yep. that movie just cracks me up. I, I don't know if you have any other Jim Varney favorites. Well, I, I will tell you a story, Troy. Oh, awesome. Jim Varney is from Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, he I graduated from Lafayette High School. Really? And a good friend of Jim Varney was my father. No, actually, get, get out of here. Yes. Who actually went to Jim Varney's funeral. Oh, man. And uh, yeah, so Jim Varney actually was in my life. Holy cow. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I love the earnest stuff. I think... The funny thing about what people don't know about Jim Varney is actually he was like a really smart guy. Yes. Um, And the Ernest character was like, I think stuff he did for commercials. Mm -hmm. It just morphed into this thing. I mean, Ernest goes to camp. Ernest goes to Africa might be a little problematic, but Ernest scared stupid. All those are, are are, stuff that is just super fun, kind of dumb, kind of throwaway, but still great. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I, I didn't know that, man. Yep, yep. He went to Lafayette High School with my father. Yeah, so this film... Class of 1968. 
68. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say he passed in 2000. So the film came out after his passing. And this is one of the last things that he had worked on. Um, some other folks we've got Corey Burton as Moller. So you, you go and look at his filmography. You'll see tons of voice work for television, film and video games. I thought it was pretty interesting. If, if you look at his voice work, people will recognize his voice uh, from the star Wars series most recently, he reprised the role in the book of Boba Fett. Since we just talked about that, he's the voice of Cat Bane. Yep. 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 Uh, Phil Morris is Doctor Sweet, another person with lots of television and voice work. Uh, this 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 one's interesting. So I, I I wanted to ask you about this. Okay. So we'll we'll talk about this character when we share our thoughts on the film. But Don Novello as Vinny. So as soon as I hear his voice, I know him specifically as father Guido Sarducci oh, from, from Saturday night live from Saturday night live. Yeah. He, Gilda did, um, I think, a, a concert movie. He's, he's fantastic in that. I have the father Guido Sarducci album, the comedy album, uh, okay. on vinyl. It's, it's absolutely hilarious, but you know, he's done a lot of work, but that's who I know him from. I didn't, I didn't know if you, if you recognized that voice or know that character or even when a fan you of say that it now, yes, I do. I didn't at the time. Okay. Yeah. It's, so it's father Guido Sardici. I'm a little bit baffled right now that I didn't pick that up. Okay. Okay, cool. Uh, we get Jacqueline Obradors as Audrey. Now, again, somebody who's working a lot, but the only thing I really recognized her for when I saw this and you see her picture and you're like, oh, yeah, NYPD Blue. She was Detective Rita Ortiz in that series. And uh, Florence Stanley as Mrs. Packard. So she's the elderly lady in Atlantis that's always smoking mm-hmm. <laughs> in the submarine, which is hilarious. Uh, isn't it weird seeing a cartoon character smoke cigarettes? Yeah, Disney Disney in 2001 is not the Disney of 2023. But uh, she had been acting since the 1950s, mostly in smaller character parts. But again, it's another one that as soon as I saw her name, I recognize her from a part that she did with Jack Nicholson and Warren Beatty in a film called The Fortune from 1975. Have you seen that? Um, You know, I don't think so. Go watch that film. It's, okay. I think it's an underseen gem from the 70s. And if you like Jack Nicholson and Warren Beatty, it's a, it's a nice mm-hmm. little dark comedy. You'll, you'll definitely like that I thought you were like going to say one. Bullworth. Uh, yeah, I, I think she, she was in Bullworth as a result of working with Beatty in that earlier film. But if you have not seen uh, the fortune, I, I can't remember if it was the Coen brothers. They might've been the one that said like the fortune is one of their favorite films of all time. So definitely check that out. Okay. Uh, John Mahoney, you recognize his voice, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Plays Preston Whitmore. Uh, I, I, he's been in a ton of stuff, but I think everybody you think knows him as Martin Crane from the Frasier series. Would that be yeah, the Frasier. height of his yeah, career? It'd have to be. Okay. We get Cree summer as uh Kida again, lots of television and voice work. Claudia Christian as Helga. I think most people would know her. Now I, I know her from a film in, in the late eighties in 1987, the hidden. But I think she got a lot of popularity from that Babylon 5 TV series that ran from like 94 to 98. Yes. I mean, she's been in a ton of stuff, but I think, do you think Babylon 5 is probably where she, 
hit the mainstream from that perspective? Probably. Ooh. It wouldn't be Maniac Cop 2, right? Or a gnome named Norm. <laughs> it's weird. You look at the stuff she did in the 80s, and that's what I know her from. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Babylon uh, 5, but whenever I see her doing public appearances, it's always associated with that sci-fi TV show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's one that I, every time we watch this film, I totally forget he's in. And it's the legendary James Gardner plays Rourke. So James Gardner had two probably monumental TV shows, Maverick that ran from 57 to 62. And he was also in the film adaptation uh, with Mel Gibson. Yep. And uh, the Rockford files, which was an amazing TV show from 74 to 80. I don't know. Do you, do you have any favorite James Gardner films? If, if you look at his filmography, it's amazing. I've seen Maverick a hundred times. Again, it was on HBO all the time. Uh, Space Cowboys was also on HBO all the time. Yep. Um, what was the other film that I was thinking of? Those are the two I've probably seen the most. Um, like Hour of the Gun, I like a lot. Okay. Um, that's from the 60s. Yeah, he's got what? I mean... Hundreds of credits. Yeah. The the two, like <laughs> when, when I think of James Gardner outside of, you know, the Maverick or even Rockford files, I love support your local sheriff from 1969 and the sequel support your local gunfighter from 1971. These are these oh. Western comedies he did. Okay. If you haven't seen them, check them out. They're super funny. He, I mean, you want to see an actor just, uh, ooze charm on the screen you got to watch those two films they're so good okay uh last but certainly not least in sort of a small not a space cowboy fan space guy was okay i just i mean if you if you're if you're talking about him i mean i'm he's got he's got an impressive filmography but again he's got an amazing voice like it translates to being a a, you know doing voice voiceover quite a Quite well. Yeah. And and again, in our household, when, when we think James Gardner, it's the Maverick film and then support your local sheriff. Like our, our family loves that one too. And it's one that my dad introduced me to and, and fell in love with as well. Uh, there's, there's one other name I want to bring up, which again is a little bit of a surprise for the film, but it's Leonard Nimoy plays the Atlantean King, Mr. Spock himself, which is crazy to hear his voice mm-hmm. and see him in this. Okay, some production and development. And we're going to sort of name drop some other people that worked on this behind the scenes. But development of the film began after production had finished on The Hunchback of Notre Dame back in 1996. Instead of another musical, our directors and producers and the screenwriter decided to do an adventure film inspired by the works of Jules Verne. So Atlantis Lost Empire was notable for adopting the distinctive visual style of comic book artist Mike Mignola, one of the film's production designers. Now, Mike Mignola is known for a little bit, uh, just little little independent comic book. Do you know what that is, Brad? Uh, yes. What, what what comic book is that, Brad? Is it? Um, we we talked about one of the movie adaptations. I know, and now I'm drawing a blank. It's Hellboy. 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 Yes. Yeah. Sorry. There you go. Yes, okay. Hellboy. The film made greater use of computer-generated imagery than any Disney's previous traditionally animated features up to this time. So at the peak of Atlantis's production, 350 animators, artists, and technicians were working on this film 
at all of the Disney Animation Studios. The film was one of the few Disney animated features produced and shot in 35mm anamorphic format. The directors felt that a widescreen image was crucial as a nostalgic reference to old action-adventure films presented in the CinemaScope format, noting Raiders of the Lost Ark as an inspiration. The film was released at a time when audience interest in animated films was shifting away from hand-drawn animation towards films with full CGI. And that's, you know, your Toy Stories, your Shreks, everything Mm -hmm. else, right? The film's visual style was strongly based upon that of Mike Mignola, the comic book artist behind Elboy. Mignola was one of the four production designers, along with Matt Codd, Jim Martin, and Ricardo Delgado, hired by the Disney studio for the film. Accordingly, he provided style guides, preliminary character and background designs, and story ideas. So another person they brought in, which I thought is kind of interesting, was linguist Mark Okrand, who developed the Klingon language for the Star Trek (laughs) franchise. Um, He basically constructed an Atlantean language specifically for use in the film. Since the film would not feature any songs, the directors hired James Newton Howard to compose the score after the directors heard his music on Dinosaur. Approaching it as a live action film, Howard decided to have different musical themes for the cultures of the surface world and Atlantis. Atlanta, now here's here's super interesting. We, we were talking about the marketing before, which you said typically with these films, it's like not two, but 2.5, right? Yep. Okay. So Atlantis was among Disney's first major attempts to utilize internet marketing. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah, I, did, I didn't either. So the film was promoted through Kellogg's, which created a website with mini games and a movie-based video game giveaway for UPC labels from specifically marked packages of Atlantis breakfast cereal. The film was one of Disney's first marketing attempts through mobile network operators and allowed users to download games based on the film. McDonald's, which had an exclusive licensing agreement on all Disney releases, promoted the film with Happy Meal toys, food packaging, and in-store decor. The McDonald's advertising campaign involved television, radio, and print advertisements beginning on the film's release date. Frito-Lay offered free admission tickets for the film on specially marked snack packages. So when you wonder why this thing didn't make a lot of film or money, it, it was trying to recoup a lot of that cost through these it wasn't advertising. It was for not trying, yeah. for sure. When the film now, there's some controversy around this film too, which I I find pretty interesting. So I'm going to just kind of I don't know scrape the surface of this. You could do a lot of research, but I didn't know this about the movie either. The, the Studio f- Ghibli film. Yeah, when the film was okay. released, some viewers noticed that Atlantis: The Lost Empire was similar to the anime Nadia: The Secret of Blue Water, particularly in its character design, setting, and story. The similarities, as noted by viewers in both Japan and America, were strong enough for its production company, Gainax, to be called to sue for plagiarism. According to Gainax member Yasuhiro Takeda, they only refrained from doing so because the decision belonged to parent companies NHK and Toho. Another Gainax worker was quoted in an interview in 2000 as saying, quote, we actually tried to get NHK to pick a fight with Disney, but even the National Television Network of Japan didn't care to mess with Disney and their lawyers. We actually did say that, but we wouldn't actually take them to court. We would be so terrified about what they would do to them in return that we wouldn't dare. 
So they did not sue Disney for plagiarism for fear of, of Disney's like, um, yeah, just legal they deeper army, pockets. Right? Yeah. yeah they, and they have deeper pockets too. Have so, you ever seen that? No, I haven't. It was, seen a, it was an anime series and a, in a film. Was it good? I, I, I don't remember much of it to be able to tell you if it was good or not. Do you remember? So you, you you wouldn't be able to like um, remember the similarities either. I mean, no, just I just rem- I thought it was like you know because they're both based kind of on two thousand or twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Yeah, the jewels both, source material. Yeah, so they take source material from that. But from what I understand, there's also some you know, like you said, some very other like similar things. The other one that you're going to mention, I definitely see. Okay. Um, that was the one I was going to concentrate on. There are a couple of other sources that came up. Which one were you going to mention? Uh, the castle in the sky. Okay. Yep. Yep. Studio. studio. I, I have a question about that. I mean, castle in the sky, is it, is it similar in design? Cause I, I can't, I don't think no. I've ever seen well, that because one. Studio Ghibli has that, that design, you know what, yeah. you know, yeah. when you see, so it does, it's more, steampunky and they also call it like a diesel punk as well okay um but again it kind of has that lost civilization um i think it's more obviously in the sky so essentially it's not underwater but it's in the sky but basically the same stuff oh okay yeah i've never seen it that name popped up and i couldn't but i know there's like a blue crystal amulet in that one and, um, you know, it, it emits like the same blue light and all this stuff. So it's more of the story beats and, and mm-hmm. some of the plot yeah. devices. Okay. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, I'm really curious about your revisit with this material. So let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to share our thoughts on Atlantis. So stay tuned. It's intermission. Rise and stretch time. Time to refresh yourself and visit our snack bar. Got a yen for hot popcorn? Your favorite soft drinks are sparkling cold. The juicy Frank sizzling hot. There's delicious coffee freshly brewed. And all kinds of ice cream and candy to tempt you. Showtime will be announced loud and clear to get you back to your car in time. So stretch your legs. Come to the snack bar now. Do you love 80s and 90s music? You freaking should. Yeah, because if not, you have issues. But if you do, then boy, do we have the podcast for you. The Mixtape. Yes, Matt, The Mixtape, where we chat about, whoa, 80s and 90s music mostly. Yeah, we sprinkle some other stuff in there too, though. A smattering of 70s and early 2000s. Throw in celebrity interviews, a lot of immature humor, and some actual content, and you have a hell of a good time. We do have a good time, don't we? Yes, we do. Check us out. Spotify, Pandora, Apple, iHeart, pretty much all the places you find podcasts. You can search for us, The Mixtape Podcast. That's four words. Find us, listen, subscribe, share, and stay Stay awesome. awesome.
and we're back. Brad, just going to kick it over to you. I I uh, tipped my hat, as they say, <laughs> in, in a text format. Yeah. By by just telling you, like, our, our family loves this film. And I'll, I'll share some specific reasons for it. But I'm, I'm really curious uh, where you landed. And, and the first question I want to start with was, did, did you watch this with the family, like with your kids, or was this just by yourself? Uh, Max and I watched it together. Okay. Um, Ellie was not interested, but he, he sat down and watched it with me. I could tell he was getting a little bored here and there. Um, you got to think, now animated films are very manic and they're always stuff is always going on right um and so when he goes back and and watches something from the early 2000s it's like slower and there's a lot more plot development and characters staying around and talk way more than what he's used to i mean i think once he starts watching more films that'll become a little bit more normal for him so when stuff is a little bit more deliberately paced he will definitely fade in and out. Um, but when it got to stuff where things were happening, he was definitely very much invested. Um, so, you know, it's very rare that we do a, do a film where he can watch it with me. Right. Um, you know, he didn't get to see Laquisha. <laughs> oh, darn. I, I, I would have liked to know what he thought about that. <laughs> so, I mean, that plays like a, a part of me, like enjoying this, this film, but so yeah, I I like this movie quite a bit. Um, it's very Indiana Jones meets 20,000 leagues under the sea. Okay. Um, it, like, it really reminds me a lot of like the last crusade, you know, like we're even like, we're going to get this item and, you know, we kind of get turned on at the last act and all this stuff. Um, I was very impressed with how much I liked Michael J. Fox voice acting. Like I thought he was spectacular as Milo. Yeah. And all the titular, all the surrounding characters as well. I thought were excellent. Like the voice cast in this is really good. Um, Do you have a favorite character? Cause I agree with you when, when you talk about an ensemble piece within a film, especially like an animated film, this one really delivers across the board and it surprised me how many performances I really loved in this thing. But did you have a favorite one that stood out? Um, I, you know, I don't remember what his name is. It's the explosive guy, Vinny, Vinny. Yes. Vinny is Vinny is the best. Um, That's the father Guido Sarducci. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I thought like they would cut to him. And he's like holding dynamite and he yeah. just has a look on his face. It's very, it's really, really good. Um, you know, it's like obviously this hero's journey and then there's like this turn and we're going for this item. It's like, we're not breaking any new ground with the story, but I think there's some impressive stuff. Like the Leviathan stuff is really, really nice. Oh yeah. Um, and that's a CGI blend a CGI with hand drawn. Yeah. Um, so it looks really cool. Um, the explosions are like, it's really violent. Like there's <laughs> lots of guns. Yeah. Again, like we're used to Disney 2023, but there's no smoking and there's no guns. And they talk about how many people die in this movie. Uh, I know the, the guy says, you know, we started off this journey with 200 people. 
and there's like 20 people standing around him. And you're like, God, like 180 people just they get died. wiped out in the beginning really fast, which was, I, I'm always shocked by that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's body counts, there's smoking, there's gun violence. So it's got a lot of stuff that you don't typically see anymore. Um, and it's also for me, a benefit that they don't stop in the middle of the movie and just start singing. Like oh, this is, yeah. this is in the point, <laughs> this is like in that area where Disney was trying to do the non-musical animated films. Right. So here with this and then treasure planet where there's no, you know, no one starts singing. And, um, I think it just helps kind of keep the story going. Um, there's, there's not even, even an attempt at that too. Cause usually with some of these films, if there's not going to be outright singing from the characters, you get a montage, right? With oh, yeah, the, or, a, a pop or like, song or something over it. They, they don't have any of that in here. Yeah. Yeah. Or like there will be the, um, you know, the action fight and maybe a, a song will kick on, you know, yeah. or whatever. There's none of that. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I still think the animation holds up quite a bit. You know, Sammy was talking when we told him that we were doing this. He's like, it's very hard to discuss animated films if you appreciate the animation and, and all the work that goes into it. And I agree. I, I love that stuff. I love the art form in general. Right. Um, so I'm very, usually very sort of lenient on animated films just because of how the level of difficulty that goes into it. I, I do have a question about that. Cause I, I feel like your expertise in this is way more than myself, but studio G- Ghibli and anime in general, I've dipped my toes into it. Right. Mm-hmm. But when I look at this film, I guess the question that pops up is it does remind me of some anime that I have seen, but given how much anime you've seen across the board, I mean, is, is it closer to Japanimation or is it, is it just its own thing? Okay. No. Well, I mean, is it the style that, that separates it? Yeah. Oh yeah. The style is much different. And the, like, just think of Akira like that, the, cause this and Akira start on that explosion, right? The one in Akira is a hundred times better than the explosion in this one. And like every time I see the beginning of this, I'm like, oh, Akira did it way better. And that was in the eighties. Um, but yeah, it's just the quality and, and the style and everything. Um, but I, I've seen something like, uh, is it project echo? Mm-hmm. Okay. In, in the style of animation and the action and stuff that unfolds in there. Cause that's, I guess, Superman's daughter or something going to high school or, uh, is the premise, right? Something along yeah. that line. I, I just remember when I when I watch this one, it just reminds me. It it almost feels like it has sudden uh, or or very nuanced Japanimation style to it in some sequences. I guess it it doesn't yeah. feel like a Japanimation film, but at some point, it almost feels like a cousin to it. Unless unless I'm totally crazy. No, you're not totally crazy, especially with like all the the lights and the like the beams and yeah. all that stuff. Like it it really sort of has that, that look to it. Um, but again, we're talking about sort of like a knockoff anime style. Right. Um, so I, I, I don't know, like nothing of this, I don't want to say nothing, but not much of this story really knocks my socks off. 
I think it's everything else around it. I think it looks great. The voice, it this might be one of the best voice acted uh, animated films I've seen in a long time. Like I love every I agree. I agree. character in this, and I think this is propped up by just the characters. I mean, even someone like Mole, who is kind of a little bit weird and stuff, really works. Cookie, he, really they're works. all hilarious, man. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's really got a nice charm with the characters and their kind of banter back and forth. Um, I mean, you see these turns coming a mile away, but it's still fun. Um, there's there's some things you could pick apart, obviously, but I, I really liked it. Like, I almost turned it on again today to watch, like, the last 45 minutes again, um, just because I think once they kind of get going... Um, and they do a smart thing where they don't wait to the third act to get to Atlantis. They get to Atlantis pretty early and then the plot kind of develops there. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy this quite a bit. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that. I mean, this is a film that I, I, when I read criticism about it, a lot of the criticism criticism kind of comes down to its paint by numbers nature, right? So if you're looking at it from a story perspective or plot, you can't argue. I mean, I a hundred percent agree that where this movie starts and where it's going to end, you're going to see it a mile away. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's good guys, bad guys. Nothing about this per se is going to surprise you. And this does feel like that roller coaster ride. So when you, when you go up to a roller coaster and you're you're sitting in there you see the track you see where the hills are going to be you see where the corkscrews you see it all right even before the thing takes off and then as you go through it it's still thrilling it's still thrilling right mm-hmm. and and i f- i feel like this movie exemplifies that it's old pulp science fiction 100% and you were talking about indiana jones to me, it very much has the Rocketeer feel to it. Mm, okay. Um, but just an animated form. So I, I would have loved these guys. I know they tried to do a Rocketeer television show, but I would love these guys to like actually have done a Rocketeer animated film um, as a sequel or something of that nature because I, I think they nailed that whole feel, visual style, everything else. Um, and, and the film is concentrated on telling an adventure story with fun, unique characters that's what it set out to do. There's really no heavy handed messaging. I mean, you can make the claim that the film is anti-capitalism, anti-imperialism, all that. I've read stuff about that, but I I don't know. I, I, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like that. Really? Oh, I, I disagree. Really? Yeah. I, 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 I would say it's heavier on greed is bad, especially when you're hurting people versus the whole, Oh, this is, this is a whole takedown capitalism kind of film. You know who we don't need to hear an anti-capitalism message from Disney. Yeah, exactly. It's it. If you, if you look at it from that perspective, it's kind of funny. Um, Yep. But it's, it's a, and it's an example where people kind of get all up in arms about the, the messaging today in Disney films. It's like, dude, it's been there for like 20 plus years. It's been there since 1923. (laughs) Yeah. It's in, 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 in my head, I'm like, okay, it's all about the storytelling and does it feel like it's in your face versus it's organic to the characters or what's going on? 
I think this is a good example of like, yeah, there's some messaging there, but it doesn't feel like it's in your face. It, it just feels like, okay, that's what that character would say. It doesn't feel out of place at the timing of the plot or anything of that nature. And, and it works. I mean, the guys are treasure hunters. Yeah. So of course they're out for money because they're treasure hunters. That's but their occupation. It, it is, but it's Milo's turn at that point where he's super naive through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the light bulb goes on and he makes his little speech there, you go, oh, of course that's what's going to happen. It's again, it feels organic to the story. There's really not a layer, a lot of layers or complexity to this. It's, it is very like good guys, bad guys and greed's bad. Um, well, I mean, think about it though. Animated films are, are targeted to whom it's like younger audience. So it's gotta be a little bit more good guy, bad guy, black and white sort of deal. So that, that brings up a good question. <laughs> is this movie targeted for a younger audience or does it target more towards the teenage boy or even an adult audience? Well, I think it's like it w- should work for anyone who's 12 to anyone who's 20 or, you know, to 30, you know, and beyond. Like, I think it, it needs to be able to work on all those levels when you're spending all in $300 million. You just don't want one group of people. Yeah. So I, I think it's like, yes, the cool action adventure film can work for the 12 year olds and, and the, all the other stuff can work for the people who are much older. Cause it's got to, cause you've got to make as much money as possible. So you're not going to make a film where it's like, yeah, we want 11 and 12 and 13 year old boys to come see this film and nobody else. No, I, I get that. It just, it, to me, even watching it in, you know, a later age versus 20 years ago, uh, it, it's, <laughs> you're going to put stuff in for the adults, right? Even though mm-hmm. you might have the kid stuff. There's a lot of low uh, low cut shirts and um, bikinis in this in this movie. But there, there's a lot of adult humor, um, and there's a little dad jokes. There's there's some kid humor in it. But I am surprised at the amount of adult humor that's in there, or the amount of these zingers that I don't think kids would get. You, it, like Vinny, Vinny is hands down the funniest character in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, he has all these great sequences. I was going back and trying to look at it and you can go to YouTube and go best of Vinny, right? From Atlantis. It comes out to like three minutes, three minutes and change. Right. But if you go back and watch those clips, it's absolutely hilarious. Like you, Milo's going on and on about how many years it took him to, you know, build this structure. Da da da. He blows it up. He blows it up. And Vinny's like, Hey, I made a bridge. I made a bridge <laughs> in like, you know, 10 seconds, 12, 12 max. Um, his backstory is hilarious with the flower shop. Mm-hmm. And then he, he has these little just one liners where they're getting ready for the big climax. And Milo's shown him how these, these flying concrete fish things work. And he's like, Hey, you got a little something, you know, sporty, like a tuna. <laughs> and I'm, I'm busted out laughing every time he's, he's talking. And I don't think the kids are going to get that, but that 100% like those three minutes that happen to come from all these support characters, I feel were totally geared from a writing perspective for the adults. Yeah. You could see like, um, what the main character, what's his name? My, my, no, not Milo, Milo, no. Milo. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Milo was created for the kids. Right. And yeah. everyone else is like 
these are adult characters. The adults will get this. Um, and so that's like a really smart thing to do because Milo's the easiest one to understand. He's your good guy. Yeah. And all the other characters are, are a little bit more complex than the older people will get those. And there's so many of them that you can relate to something about one of them. Um, or just think Vinny is funny or mole is funny or cookie is funny. Um, so yeah, you kind of get your, your, your shotgun approach, right. Where it's just, you're blasting all this stuff out. Um, but it doesn't feel like it's like trying too hard. No, like it's, Shrek, it's so like natural Shrek to me. Yeah. feels like, like a try hard. Yeah. Like, Oh, it's got stuff for the adults, but it's like, well, it's trying awfully hard. This doesn't feel that way. No, it, it feels it. <laughs> these characters, even though they're drawn, they feel like real people. And, um, this, this is the first animated film. It was funny as many times we've seen this, we still rewind this section. Like, I can't believe this scene made it in there, but it's at the campsite and they're all going to bed and, and Milo is, uh, telling the older lady walking around. He's like, Oh, where's your pajamas? She's like, I sleep in the nude. <laughs> and I think it's Vinny or something throws him like a night mask. And he's yeah, like, the hey. night mask, yeah. he's like, oh, you're going to need this. He's like, what's this for? Cause she sleepwalks. And <laughs> I'm like, we got to rewind that because I still can't get over that. Yeah, that, that made it not, into this. That film. would not be in a Disney film today, but it's so funny. It is so laugh out loud. Funny. Like the script is so funny. I'm, su- I'm, I'm amazed how funny as, as amazing as the visuals are with the Leviathan and, um, Oh, it's just the the final battle scene. It's fantastic. And even Atlantis as a city looks fantastic. But I but I gotta tell you, the strength of this film, in my opinion, is the script and it's really these character exchanges that are going on for the entire runtime that make I, yeah, the, that just I would add agree to the, the dialogue. Maybe I would I would cut it down to like say that the dialogue between the characters is is great. I, I think script in the story this because the story is a little bit generic but the dialogue between and the rapport between all the characters really elevates this thing to another level yeah i i think that's fair i this is probably a perfect example of look you don't have to come with the most original story possible but if you create all of these characters that you want to go along with on the ride it really makes for a good film yeah like if you're going to go on a journey with characters make those characters be fun to be around. Yeah. I, uh, I totally understand why this bombed. I mean, if you got Tomb Raider coming out and Shrek, mm-hmm. there goes your audience, right? Cause yeah. And this is, it's just like a very atypical Disney film. Yeah. We're, we're, we're not singing. We're a little bit more masculine. Um, you know, and they tried it again with treasure planet and that failed too. So yeah, I totally understand why it bombed. You know, it's hard for Disney. You don't just change who you are with a few films, right? You're like you're trying to turn the Titanic. Like yeah. y- you just don't do it quickly. It takes many a film to people to adjust. Like, oh, this is the new Disney now. Um, I remember when Iron Man came out, people still had their sort of, you know, they didn't know what to think because up until that point in recent history superhero films were trash 
There were and it, there were a couple of bright good, spots, like yeah, yeah but the majority down, was but, was always like, oh, it's probably not going to be very well. It's not going to be very good. You yeah. know, we had our blades, we had our X mittens, and all that stuff. But for the you know, for the most part, it, it took us years to us to finally be like, oh wait, superhero films are like good now, and now we're on the other side of it. Where we're like, wait a minute, our superhero films bad again because it just takes us <laughs> yeah. it takes like two or three years to finally start figuring out oh like there's a shift going on um and w- with this it's like dizzy trying to change it's not gonna happen overnight as much as they tried because i think you know this i understand why it bombed i'm just sad that it did because i think we could have gotten more of this and treasure planet like i like both of these a lot I, I do too i think i prefer this one more to treasure planet because of the characters i i 100 percent agree i i think the characters in this are way better i think my one gripe with it i think it's overly dark at times and so you don't get to see a lot of the good really good animation treasure planet is it seems like it's more outside Things are more lit, so you get to see a lot of the things. Think about the pirate guy. I think it has more interesting visuals. Like what they do with Treasure Planet visually looks more interesting than Atlantis. Mm -hmm. Um, I think both stories, to to your point, there's no surprises. They're Mm -hmm. they're older. This one's Twenty Thousand Leagues Under Sea. Treasure Planet, you know, is Treasure Island, so you know what's going to happen. One has a good relationship um, and amazing visuals this one has good visuals but amazing characters that you just you want to you want to hang out with yep um but i the thing with disney I, I always found kind of interesting too is like take take the rocketeer take this studios have really really tried since raiders of the lost ark hit the the scene tried to capture that right I mean, we could do a whole month of these. like the like the cloned Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we could do a whole month of okay. Let's talk about the Indiana Jones clones, um, or let's let's just talk like pulp films or that genre. Mm-hmm. And they've all bombed. The Phantom Shadow. Uh, and, and yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But I I really like them. I I love I love that aesthetic. I I love those stories, but. It, it's crazy to me that the general public doesn't latch on to him that way. I guess yeah, I, because Indiana Jones was like a, is, I don't know. It's like, it's the pantheon of, the of that. Re- yeah, yeah. It's of, of that genre of film, the pulp film. Right. Uh, and, and it, 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 it's crazy to go back and think about, you know, Alan Quartermain and yeah, I was going to that was the one I was trying to think of as Alan Quartermain. Yeah. There's a couple of those that I think those were made by the Canon group. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So studios have tried to chase this down. Disney's tried to do it a couple of times. I guess the mummy kind of worked for a little bit, right? Yeah. Kind of put that. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I, I actually would categorize the mummy more as an action film. Well, I don't know. It's, it's action horror, right? It has a horror elements, but it really leans into heavy action territory. Yeah. It is funny how even but even like Indiana Jones can't replicate Indiana Jones now so it's, True. it's just Ra- hard Raiders um <laughs> man you watch Raiders the Lost Ark uh our my friend is um Kevin who's uh, we've talked about before his daughter's like obsessed with Raiders and is always wanting to watch it 
Um, and you know, she's a teenager and I get it because when you watch Raiders in comparison to anybody else who tries to play in that sandbox, it's night and day. Mm-hmm. No film has come close to Raiders Lost Ark. Not, not even the other Indiana Jones films. Um, in my opinion, it's a perfect film. The Rocketeer is the only one that came super Troy, I, close. I like Last Crusade better, to be honest with you. Okay, you can, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I, I would, I would say, okay, you've got Indiana Jones. If if that's a perfect ten, Rocketeer came in at like nine point nine five. Last Crusade's probably nine point nine five. But it, there's something about Raiders in, in in my head that has always etched out everything else that that played in that genre. But I really appreciate this film. I do too. I do too. Yeah, I, um, I, I hope, I, man, this is, this is a film like this in treasure planet. I wish, I really wish they get on the bandwagon and put a 4k out of this thing. Yeah. Hey, they're, they're switching back towards physical media now. Like, I don't The streaming stuff isn't working as much. It's not as working. Think. Yeah. Uh, I, I, can I, can I, can yeah. I, I knew you were going to, I knew cause you tipped your hat. So yeah. I, I was like, Let's look and see what some people think about Treasure Planet. Can I give you two reviews from Amazon? Of Treasure Planet or, or, or I'm sorry, Atlantis? On, um, Atlantis. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They are one-star reviews. Oh, I don't like these people. Okay. <clears throat> this is from D. Barker. The headline is Stylish Animation Limits Appeal, comma, plus Disney politics equal yuck. You're yuck. Yeah, here we go. Disney again shows its disdain for white male authority figures. This was oh written in 2002. God. Oh my God. We, we just this, we can't get rid of this. Yeah. In this case, they get the pleasure of demonizing the military as well. As soon as the captain of the submarine is introduced, I had a sneaking suspicion that by the end of the film, he would be screaming his head off in a maniacal tangent. Boy, was I right. <sighs> Disney films seem to love taking pot shots at any character that shows physical prowess as in the army or is in the army or shows pro- proficiency with a rifle. Sooner or later, you can expect this character to burst out and reveal his dangerous, destructive motives. Think Tarzan, the hunter character, or Beauty and the Beast with the hunter character, or Pocahontas with the hunter character. These are the same lantern jawed power seeking repeated through the Disney archives. A little bit sloppy here. D Baker. Um, I have a theory that the Disney writers and animate animators were themselves the pencil necked wannabes in high school and in college who lived in envy of those who played football and got all the glory. Oh my God. This is their form of payback to turn the world against men with strength and skill <laughs> and ambition. One cartoon at a time. I did like the action in the comic book style of the animation, but my kid and the kids in the neighborhood did not like it. The movie did not register. So uh, ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to know that all this stuff with Dizzy is not new. It's it, been of around forever. It's not new. Yeah. This one. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, this one is more political correctness from Disney. The villain in this movie is a murderous expedition leader who describes himself as a capitalist. His name, Rourke. An obvious reference to Ayn Rand. What? I, what? what? <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. 
Oh. How is that? Am I stupid? Should I know that that's a obvious reference? I'm not happy with such underhanded attempts to educate children with a leftist point of view. Oh boy. This is not considered, this is not to be considered a simply entertaining film, but a political statement and more evidence of Michael Eisner's misdirection. Walt Disney, we miss you more and more. This is uh, from again, 2004, man, he missed Michael Eisner. Jeez. Anyway. So I thought those were funny just because again, this isn't new. All this stuff isn't new. It isn't. And and again, if if I have any complaint against Disney right now, <laughs> it's it it's not any of this layered messaging of like don't be a greedy asshole or stuff like that. Like it's it, make better stuff. It's make better stuff. Like you've right. you've got the money, put the quality in it. Get some screenwriters that actually know how to create characters like the characters that are in Atlantis. I, I think they would be fun. Um Tell a cohesive story and tell a story that feels like it's propelling you, uh, especially in the action adventure, because that's what this is. It's it's just propelling you to the end. It does feel like a roller coaster ride. I, I think yeah, they have I mean, a, they have a real problem with that. Yeah, I know um, that there's a straight to video sequel. It's not. Did very, you ever? It, it's not, not very good. Okay. It's no, not compared to this. No, because it's on Disney Plus, and I was like, oh, I might check that out, but. No, okay. You, you could you could watch it on fast forward. I mean, okay. the, the worst of all those signal uh, sequels that they did, the animated ones. I, in my opinion, was the Milan two one was was atrocious. Oh yes, that one yes. is so painful to get through. Well, you really miss Eddie Murphy in that one. Oh, I just I miss I miss good storytelling. Yeah. My God, uh, this one's not bad, but it it. it <laughs> All of those feel like a cheap, well, let's make this in a week and get it out there and make our, you know, 20 bucks from them buying the DVD or VHS. Yeah, I do know that this does have quite the cult following now. Yeah. Like it, it really has resonated and, and people are going back and kind of appreciate it for what it is and, and what it was. And um, I mean, we'll never see anything from it again because it wasn't financially successful but it is good to know that at some point in time it did get recognized for being better than it was yeah i i am 49 percent from the critics is crazy i not really i mean if you take a step back you you'll find somebody like roger ebert i think liked it right yeah he gave it three and a half stars yeah but you're gonna find these other critics who go well there's nothing original about it it it's textbook it doesn't do anything if they're not impressed by the visuals um, I, I don't know. This is this is one of those films. I mean, I guess it all goes back to Laquisha, right? You you run across some of these films and you go, Oh, I'm so upset about the capitalism. Well, it's probably saying more about you <laughs> than the yeah. film. Yeah. Um, especially if you have that kind of reaction to it. And with this film, you walk into it and you go, Okay, it's a, it's a pulp action story about the lost city of Atlantis. And I don't think I'm going to see anything that is just going to revolutionize storytelling. So now it's really about you are going to go through the same plot devices and everything else that a Raiders of the Lost Ark is going to go through. That means I now have to, uh, am I going to enjoy your characters? Am I going to enjoy the action sequences? Am I going to enjoy the visual style? It's not going to be original, but all of these other things surrounding that, what are they like? And in my opinion, this one just knocks it out of the ballpark. Yeah, you gotta you gotta give us something, right? Yeah, you, you gotta you gotta give us something. If you're not gonna 
wow us with the story, you got to wow us somewhere else. Yeah, and I, I think it does across the board in all the other areas. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad we pushed this one up. I'm, I'm, I got to be honest with you. Treasure Planet was a fun discovery, and I'm, I'm glad you kind of said, hey, we're going to talk about this. I would have never mm-hmm. watched it without the show, and now I love it. Um, but I, I, I really, really enjoyed revisiting this one. And I, I did, I did enjoy Ta- Tabitha quoted this entire film through the whole thing. Oh, wow. And she loves this film. And she was, was she was saying the lines even before they would come up. No, oh, well, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised that like how much I really enjoyed this. Um, cause you never really know about these, like how, how they're going to hold up and, yeah. and, but yeah, I sat down with this one and I was looked up and I was like, Oh, it's over. Like we, wow, that was quick and fun. I, and I wanted to watch it again right afterwards. Uh, and and you're right. I I remember having a great time quick, with this quick one. Quick and the kids. fun is how I've been described. <laughs> <laughs> that is your mo. Yep. Uh, no, that's that's a good discussion. I mean, I I'm assuming we're both saying it's not a bomb. Then. Right? Oh, absolutely not. No. Okay. On the characters alone, like I would just like to go on this adventure with them and just hang out with these people. I do. I I love how it closes too, where they're all sitting there. They got their they got their money. And they're they're sitting next to the fireplace, and uh, just their reaction to what happened to him. Oh, well, this happened. It, you know, the, one jabs the other one is like, oh nope, we don't know what happened. Yeah, <laughs> it has a, well, it yeah, has a very they get funny the money at the end. Like, yeah, they kind of get what they wanted. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I love it. These ca- Vinny, God, I love Vinny. Just go to YouTube and watch the best of Vinny from Atlantis. It's hilarious. Uh, not a bomb hall of fame entry Vinny from Atlantis. Yeah. He's in there as a character. I like it. He's oh, yeah. in the pantheon yep. father Guido Sarducci. You need to go look, go and just seek out some of his like comedy albums. Um, and even that Gilda special, that movie that she did is really funny and he has some of the best sequences in it, but do not, in my opinion, don't, don't underestimate Don Novello's like early comic stuff. It shines okay. here, but definitely go check out the the Father Guido Sergiusi stuff. Uh, Brad, yes, we, sir. We my my pick next week, right? It is your pick next week. Yes. So I've I've got to. I just want to do a quick shout out. There's there's one distributor. We we live in a glorious time for physical media, in my opinion. It's just gotten better and better every year. You and I love kung fu films. Think about how many kung fu movies have come out last year and are coming out this year, right? From all these different. Remember studios. when you had to like trade VHSs yes. and all that stuff? Yeah, that's why I bought Laserdisc to make VHS copies to trade for films from other yep. people. That, but so and you had to like give a guy a hand job in the back to get it. it no, like, never, no. never, <laughs> never did that. No. Oh. Uh, okay. But there, you know, we, we, you guys, you didn't want it that bad. I didn't. Um, <laughs> We talked, you know, we did Hudson Hawk and Kino put a great Blu-ray release of that out. Yeah. I hate that movie, but the release is awesome. Uh, Arrow criterion criterion used to be the thing that everybody chased after, but man, some of the releases that come from these other studios are amazing. And I posted on our socials, like one, I'm just going to call it box set at a year already. I know it's early, but umbrella entertainment put out box of Burt, Burt Reynolds films, right? But was but what was cool is it give you like Burt Reynolds air freshener bumper stickers these little lobby cards off of these um, 
70s uh, kind of Burt Reynolds ads. You got like these fold-out posters. The special features on these things are ridiculous. But it comes from a studio in Australia called Umbrella Entertainment. And they are doing some amazing releases. If you go to their website, they're doing they might like... be like moving up the list for me, Troy. Oh, dude. So I have ordered so much stuff from them lately. Um, I saw The Devil is coming out in May. They're doing a release of it. But what's special about that release is it's going to have the original Korean version plus the international version. Um, and those are two distinct prints. Yes, yes. They're putting out Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Golden Harvest original, with um, smelly stickers. So it's coming out in smell vision So as you're watching the film, you just scratch your little pad and, and you'll get the... You're going to smell pizza. You smell pizza, you smell sewer, whatever it is. Smell the opium that Shredder's smoking. Yes. <laughs> for for the, uh, the Weird Al Yankovic movie, right, with Daniel Radcliffe, um, they got a whole box set around that that I've ordered because uh, my son wanted the shirt that comes with it. So he, he's getting that. But there was a film I got super excited about that they just released this year with lobby cards and everything else. And that's next week's pick. So what are we talking about? Yeah, we're talking about 1986s. Yeah, 1986 yeah. King Kong Lives or mm. also known as King Kong 2. Yes. I'm so excited. So excited for this one. Uh, and and again, folks, I can't rep hard enough. The shipping charges, I mean, obviously it's coming from Australia, but they give you tracking. But you got to go check out their website. They always have these sales. <laughs> Troy, I think if you order over $100, the shipping's it might be $150. Yeah. Shipping's free. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm telling you, whenever they announce um, some of their stuff that's coming out, especially from a pre-book and all the special features – jump on it because it sells out that box of Burt sold out right out of the gate. And, um, they did like a, they, they said, okay, we're going to make more. And I got it on the, the, the second round, but I think that one might be selling out here pretty soon. Or if it hasn't sold out already, it's got a lot of stuff to it. Um, and yeah, I mean, for what you get for $80, it's not terrible. No, I mean, you get cannibal run, cannibal run two, uh, two Jackie Chan movies. I mean, come on in a Burt Reynolds <laughs> box set. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Brad, if somebody wants to reach out to us, and um, a big thank you to those who recommended Atlantis, because that was a fun discussion. But yeah. If, but if anybody wants to send something to us and say, hey, why don't you guys talk about this film? How do they do that? Yeah, that's notabompod at gmail.com. You can also go to Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or go to our website, which is notabompodcast.com, and hit the Contact Us button, uh, just like many of folk do. Just like Chris Evans did. Yeah. It <laughs> definitely wasn't me, Troy. Right. Whatever. Um, <clears throat> no, we, we love the interaction. We love the stuff that's getting posted on social. We love some reviews. It's been kind of quiet in that, in that area. So yeah. if you, if you guys can jump on wherever you're getting your podcast and leave us a positive review or share the podcast with some folks, we would love to get some more people brought into the community to share their thoughts on movies that bombed that need, you know, a second chance and also a chance to interact with us. We're, we're really happy with what has been built so far. Um, but we would, we would love more participation. Yeah, we love all real. the emails. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, and Hey, look, I, I gotta tell you this little experiment we're doing with you, the breaking Brad, you, you gotta go listen to that Laquisha episode. That was, uh, that was, 
I'm still like still floored. I'm still affected by that the, that episode. It was unbelievable. We spent 90 minutes and we go places. And that that one's only supposed to last an hour and we just kept going. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't uh I didn't expect where that went. What other what other shows should people check out? Yeah, uh that's uh our friends of the podcast would be The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Sammy is coming back. I think middle of April. So look for yep. him returning. Watch skip plus. They just released an episode on, um, John, John Wick, Wick four, mm-hmm. uh, the VHS files, night of the living podcast, who will actually be on the next episode of breaking Brad for April, uh, back look cinema podcast, which we are going to do something with Zoe and Zoe is going to do something with us very soon. And the mixtape podcast. Yeah, big shout out to Matt too. We got to spend a little time with him at Horrorhound. Yes, we did. Yeah, it was very nice seeing him in yes. person. He he got some awesome pins and a lot of Spaceballs uh, material, which he had been sharing. That was that was really cool. Uh, what else? Any other housekeeping items? No, not really. Just thanks for everyone for listening. And like Troy said, share our podcast, review our podcast wherever you listen. Um, if you have something that you want us to do better at or have an idea for the show. Let us know, you know, Troy and I are always malleable and we'll, we'll tweak things and change things and see if they work and give it a try. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. We love the feedback. If you want less of something or more of something, let us know and we'll deliver, man. Uh, we, again, we don't do this for any kind of monetary value. We do it for the friendships and and just the relationships and even the interaction. And we appreciate everybody that, uh, download this and, and spend time listening to us. So, With that, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thanks for playing along. Go back and watch Atlantis from 2001. It's awesome. Come back next week. We're going to talk King Kong. And uh, if you get a chance, if you have a little extra coin from the tax return, go over to Umbrella Entertainment, buy the Blu-ray, pick up the box of Bird if it's still available. Um, But definitely come back here next week so that we can talk King Kong lives. We'll catch you then. Don't lose your head. Bye.